Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Coastal cold snap. We're trying to make sure that people are driving for the conditions. The province prepares for plunging temperatures and wicked wind chills. Increasing infections. We are still in the middle of our respiratory virus season. The risk to long-term care homes and added pressure on the healthcare system. And curbing congestion on the cut. There's a shoulder on which we could put a lane. Test driving ideas to end gridlock on the North Shore. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Our unseasonably warm winter is about to change dramatically, with temperatures plummeting across Metro Vancouver into minus double digits, even worse with the wind chill. That has officials from health authorities, transit, and government warning people to take the cold seriously. Our Cassidy Moscone joins us from the National Works Yard in Vancouver, and Cassidy crews are going to be busy in the coming days. They sure are, Sophie. We're told winter maintenance crews are working around the clock, 24 hours a day, to make sure the city of Vancouver's roads are safe. You will see salt trucks and snow plows out when this winter blast hits with full force. Winter is coming. Thursday, to be exact, when the mercury is predicted to dip to minus 10 across Metro Vancouver. By Friday, it's forecast to be even colder. We've really got all of our trucks that are available to do these brine treatments out doing those treatments today. The sub-zero stretch prompting a safety warning from the city, WorkSafe BC and Vancouver Coastal Health. During colder periods, we do find from our emergency room data that there's an increase in the number of people going to the ER with injuries due to slips and falls that they experience outside. So when we do have snow on the ground, when there's ice on the ground, it's very important to plan ahead. For those working in the elements, employers are urged to consider deferring outside work. While cold stress and hypothermia, frostbite can set in very quickly. Understand what the conditions are, what the work to be done is, and how long this cold snap will, will uh, last. WorkSafe BC data reveals cold stress was responsible for 167 accepted disability benefit claims in the province between 2013 and 2023, with November, December and January recording the most work-related crashes on our roads than any other three-month period. We see an increase in crashes uh, as a result of people driving too fast for the road conditions in January by 91%. And then we also know from our data that 43% of collisions involving pedestrians are occurring between October and uh, January. And again, due to the weather and visibility. We really encourage our customers to build extra time in their commute, sign up for transit alerts and check their routes before they head out the door. For those without a warm place to sleep at night, the City of Vancouver has two new temporary winter shelters open all season long, providing 67 additional spaces on top of existing extreme weather response shelters. 
Sophie, winter maintenance crews here are preparing. The City of Vancouver is asking residents to do the same. Put your winter tyres on and make sure you clear the snow and ice from your sidewalks. All right, thanks for that, Cassidy. Okay, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon is watching all of this. She has the details on this bitter cold coming. So, uh, Christy, some of these extreme cold warnings have even expanded. Absolutely. So on one thing after another today, as Environment Canada continues to issue extreme cold warnings further and further south, including the south coast with an Arctic outflow warning. So the purple is an extreme cold where we could see wind chills in the northeast down to minus 50. Again, these are wind chill values that you can see here. Uh, minus 35 to minus 40 and through the Caribou Central Interior, the South Thompson region down to minus 35. And for the south coast, it's mainly minus 30 out through the East Fraser Valley or Whistler. But for areas further towards the coast, we have the potential for wind chill values down to minus 20. Tomorrow is a transition day. It is Friday morning that the conditions are going to be coldest, and this is what it could look like. Beyond that, we slowly start to climb out of it, but we are expecting this bitter cold to last at least through the weekend. It's next week that we'll see an improvement. Chris, back to you. All right, we'll talk to you a little bit later in the news hour, too. Thanks, Christy. Well, the city of Vancouver now says some of the people who were living in a homeless encampment in Oppenheimer Park are in housing. Vancouver Park Rangers and police moved in on the encampment on Tuesday, saying about 26 tents were not being taken down every morning as required by city bylaws. Homeless advocates called the dismantling of the tents yesterday inhumane, particularly with that cold snap on the way. The city now says five of the people who'd been living in the tents have now been housed, although not through the city's homelessness outreach team, but through one of the nonprofits that works on the downtown east side. No word on where the other people in the encampment ended up. You probably notice a lot of people with a cough or the sniffles or calling in sick to work. They are feeling the impact of the winter respiratory illness season. But as Richard Zussman reports, BC's top doctor is warning the worst is still ahead. Holidays are over, school's back, and the flu is still spreading. We're not out of the woods yet, and we will continue to see high rates of influenza and RSV for the next few weeks. Health officials providing an update Wednesday on the ongoing respiratory illness season. Unlike a year ago, where the virus peaked early, this season is looking more typical. Influenza A continues at elevated levels across the province, and that's really one of the things that's causing the most illness. The province is once again pushing people to get vaccinated against the flu. Just 50% of those over 80, the highest risk group, have been vaccinated this year. Around one quarter of adults have received the shots and just 17% of children. That's good compared to anywhere in North America. In fact, it is almost certainly the best in North America. However, we are behind where we were last year. Vaccines are readily available in pharmacies, but the uptake has public health experts worried it's not enough to mitigate spread. We are still early on, so it will increase. We are not vaccinating people enough for influenza or COVID, so that might increase it uh, a little bit more. Last year's flu season plagued by a shortage of kids' pain-killing medication. And although some people have experienced shortages this year of antibiotics, the province insisted medication is available. Antibiotics are effective treatments for the bacterial infections that sometimes happen when, when afterwards, or secondary infection, we call them. And we have no shortage of antibiotics. As for COVID-19, cases continue to go down 
with new data showing 83% of British Columbians have had the virus, up from 78% in the summer and 73% a year ago. Almost everybody in our community now has some degree of immunity uh, against COVID-19, and that's really helpful and important to us. With COVID, it's still a transition year with no clear spread pattern, leading the province to consider another COVID booster may come this fall. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on healthcare in BC and how busy our hospitals are right now. It was a new record last night, Keith. New record last night. If you remember last night I reported that we actually set a new record on Monday night, and I predicted we were going to break that record fairly soon. Well, guess what? Not only did we break it, we broke it by a huge margin. Another 137 people went into hospital yesterday in B.C. That means, take a look at this number. It's quite shocking in terms of where we've been before. 10,435 people uh, were in hospital yesterday. That's an all-time record, beating the old record of 10,298 set just one day before. Column on the right breaks down how many vacant base beds are available. Vancouver calls has more than 2,300 base beds. Just 21 of them are empty right now. Fraser has almost 3,000 base beds. Just 70 of them are unoccupied. And you see the other health authorities as well. Health Minister Adrian Nix today saying basically this is a big challenge for the healthcare system, particularly when a record number of healthcare workers continue to be off sick at least one day a week. It is very challenging, right? And the prevalence of illness in society is reflected in the healthcare community as well. So in the most recent week that we have evidence, we have results for um, 18,000 healthcare workers. Now there are hundreds of thousands of healthcare workers in BC, but 18,000 of them missed at least one day because of illness in that period. So that's significant as well, and that's more than had been previously seen, and that's increased over time and increased during the period of the pandemic, and that puts additional pressure. If you can imagine being in a facility where there are, I don't know, five nurses and one is away, well, that's significant for, for everybody. So what's driving this big uptick in hospital cases? As I reported last night, a huge uh, increase in population means that just mathematically there's going to be more people sick. And as you heard Dr. Henry and Richard's story say, the worst is yet to come. So expect that record to be broken yet again, maybe perhaps as early as today or tomorrow. Well, we'll be talking to you again then. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> TransLink's Mayor's Council is launching a new campaign, hoping you'll help put pressure on the provincial and federal governments for more money to pay for some big projects, projects that will transform transportation in the region. Alyssa Thibault joins us now from Surrey. And Alyssa, you're in an area we know is dealing with some explosive growth. Yeah, and you can start to see some of the impacts of that, Chris. It is rush hour here at the moment. It's very busy. We've counted about a dozen or so buses that are full, not accepting any more passengers. In fact, seven of the ten most overcrowded routes in the entire region are here in Surrey, and it is expected to get much worse. Many transit users are used to seeing full buses and long lines, and representatives from across Metro Vancouver are hoping there's enough frustration for people to speak up. Now is the time to send a message to our elected officials in Victoria and Ottawa. Our region desperately needs more transit service. 
Translink's Mayor's Council launching a petition calling on residents to put pressure on the provincial and federal governments to invest big money in the transit system. A 10-year plan laying out $21 billion worth of investment, including doubling bus service levels, increasing sea bus hours and completing road and infrastructure upgrades. There are also big ticket items such as the SkyTrain extension to UBC and the Burnaby Mountain Gondola. The Burnaby Mountain Gondola is not just a project, it's a beacon of hope for us. The council saying at least $500 million in capital funding is needed soon for the initial phase. Unless we can get funding commitments from the provincial and federal government by April of this year, TransLink will have to delay those projects and determine what to reduce starting in 2025. TransLink's stats show more than a quarter of rush hour trips in both Vancouver and Surrey are overcrowded, with bus services from both UBC and Surrey Central top of the list. Our transit system simply cannot keep up with the demand of our region as it grows at a record pace, putting further pressures on affordability. And this year, provincial legislation is coming to increase density around transit hubs. If we don't have the transit to go along with that new housing, how are people going to get around? BC's Transportation Minister wouldn't say if more funding was coming, but says the province has made significant investments. Even as recently as 10 months ago with $479 million worth of provincial funding again to assist TransLink on making sure that we have really high value, good transit service throughout Metro Vancouver. All right, pretty desperate plea from local mayors. Alyssa, how are people able to access this petition? Well, so you're going to start seeing uh, ads on social media and also on billboards. They will have a QR code. That QR code takes you to a website. You can sign the petition on there, and it also sends a pre-written letter to both MPs and also MLAs. Chris? We'll see if it has any impact. Thanks very much, Alyssa. On a map, it doesn't look like much, but a two-kilometer stretch of Highway 1 in North Vancouver has been the bane of commuters' existence for years. As Kristen Robinson reports, councillors with the District of North Vancouver hope to make some changes to the cut. The cut leading to the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge is a regular bottleneck. Congestion on this two-lane stretch of Highway 1 in North Vancouver not limited to rush hour. It's uh, nearly always plugged at certain times of the day. It's terrible. So There's so much traffic, right? I used to live in Deep Cove and <clears throat> it was a bitch trying to get home. Jim Hansen is one of the commuters stuck in traffic daily. It's a great waste uh, to have so many people sitting for so long in these congestions. It's uh, bad for the environment, it's bad for the economy. The district councillor wants to see a third eastbound lane added to the cut between Lynn Valley Road and Mountain Highway to help ease stop and go traffic and allow local residents to exit before the bridge. I look to my right and there's a shoulder on which we could put a lane. So my proposal is let's pave that shoulder. I haven't yet, but I'm tempted just to pull out and drive down uh, to Mountain Highway. Hansen's motion for an extra lane receiving support from council. All those in favor? The mayor says the volume of traffic through the cut corridor needs to be better managed 
and he'll follow up with the Transportation Ministry, which has jurisdiction over Highway 1. As our community grows, we need to see the infrastructure grow with it, and this is one of the uh, steps we can take. The, the land is already owned, the land is already there. This is one of those ones that we probably could uh, move on relatively quickly. It's certainly something that uh, you know we, we will look at in the context of a larger discussion, which is around uh, how we have a more efficient transportation network that connects the North Shore to other parts of the region. The province says it tried to relieve congestion with the recently completed $200 million lower lane improvement project and it understands North Vancouver's frustration. Anything would help another lane, for sure. I think it sounds good. Kristen Robinson, Global News. It's a shocking assessment of BC's power grid. A new survey of North American electric reliability classifies our province as at risk and with questionable reliability by 2026. The factors we'll have to face before then, if we want to keep the lights on, next on the News Hour. I didn't intend to be a hero that day. I didn't expect any of this was going to happen. She tried to save a man's life, but it drastically changed her own. Her long fight for compensation later. And the Pete Carroll era is over for the Seattle Seahawks. Why he's out as head coach and what he says about it later in sports. Right now, though, even as the massive Site C dam is getting closer to producing power, one advocacy group is warning the multi-billion dollar project still won't come close to meeting BC's fast-growing demand for electricity. That's right. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the group is warning that instead of exporting power, within just a couple of years, BC will need to become a major importer of electricity. More than a year of drought conditions with no relief on the horizon has left BC in an unusual position. The province forced to import a record amount of power last year, 10,000 gigawatts, or about the equivalent of two Site C dams worth of power. A new report from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation says 2023 might not be an anomaly, listing BC as a risk to generate enough power consistently in the future. The report says by 2026, increasing demand and generation constraints could become an issue. There should be a wake-up call. The Energy Futures Initiative is calling on the BC government to seriously look at alternatives to hydro to meet the province's generation needs. Where is the electricity going to come from? Relying on imports from our neighbors is a very risky proposition because they are facing their own challenges. They are recording record growth in demand and uh, their own systems are going to face some uh, questions going forward. The irony, according to Penner, is that while BC is moving away from natural gas generation, the province is importing energy from non-renewable sources. Energy experts say the situation is only going to get worse. Home heating electrification plus the increase in electric vehicles is pushing demand past BC's generation limits. According to SFU researchers, in order to meet the demand, BC's clean energy plan will need more substance. When you look at uh, whether there's a roadmap about how, actually, how to actually achieve them, there's nothing there. The B.C. government has put out a call for independent power producers that could bring an additional 3,000 gigawatts to the grid. Which I expect to be followed by subsequent calls for power that we're always building out in time for understanding what that demand is. Critics point out electrical generation projects take decades to get off the ground. Site C, approved in 2010, 
the turbines still not spinning. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Over three of the past five years, 2020, 2021, and 2022, BC has been an exporter selling power to other jurisdictions. But in 2019, and again last year, the province needed to import electricity, including a record 10,000 gigawatt hours in 2023. Coming up, a parking ticket one driver refused to accept. We were all surprised because I had only been in the Wendy's. How this customer got such a hard time from diamond parking until Consumer Matters stepped in. Plus, this is embarrassing, putting it out there, um, but I need that. I need help. A good Samaritan hit by a train trying to save another man's life and how doing the right thing has gone so wrong. A frustrated driver is sharing his story tonight after he says he was slapped with a parking ticket he didn't deserve. He's hoping his story serves as a wake-up call to private parking companies and forces them to improve how they resolve disputes. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more. And Thanks, Sophie. Eric Finley parked at a fast food restaurant in Vancouver. The parking lot is managed by Diamond Parking, and parking is free, providing you go to the restaurant. Eric had evidence he did just that, but when he found himself in a fight with the parking company, he called Consumer Matters for help. At this private parking lot in Vancouver, an attendant keeps a close eye on anyone breaking the rules. Diamond Parking manages this restaurant parking lot at 8th and Canby. The sign indicating anyone leaving the property without their vehicle will be subject to a ticket or towed at the owner's expense. Eric Finley says back in December he parked and ate here with his extended family for dinner. But when he left the restaurant to return to his vehicle, Eric says he discovered a parking ticket on his windshield. We all came out to our cars and mine had the ticket on it and we were all surprised because I had only been in the Wendy's. Eric was hit with an $86.50 fine. The ticket said the attendant saw me leave from my vehicle to go to Home Depot. But Eric says he only visited the restaurant and even had a receipt to prove it. At no time, he says, did he leave the property to go anywhere else. He tried to dispute the ticket, filing an appeal with Diamond Parking, submitting his restaurant receipt and contact numbers of all his family members who accompanied him that night. Still, his appeal was denied and it was case closed. Morally and ethically, I, I don't believe that I should pay this. Vancouver-based lawyer Kyla Lee says when it comes to private parking companies, customers have few rights. With these private parking companies, unfortunately, it is effectively the wild, wild west. They get to do what they want with their private property. Lee recommends at the end of the day, the best advice is to pay the ticket. The likelihood of it affecting your credit is even very small in and of itself. But again, the risk, especially if you're wanting to do something like get a mortgage or get some type of a loan, you don't want any type of black mark and you don't even want the risk of that out there. Eric decided to contact Consumer Matters for help. After we reached out to Diamond Parking on his behalf, his ticket was cancelled. The Vice President of Operations stating in an email, once we can establish the customer provided an economic benefit to our client, then it makes sense to cancel the notice. Still, Eric says he would like to see change when it comes to the resolution process with private parking companies like Diamond. An open dialogue for starters.
And lawyer Kyla Lee also says if people feel they are being treated unfairly by private parking companies to contact their MLA and ask for more regulations around the sale of private parking services. To make it more fair, she believes the province could create legislation that would give people a proper review process in situations where they felt they've been wronged. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. A Chilliwack woman who attempted to save a man from an oncoming train is now suffering more than she thought possible for doing the right thing. Julie Callahan is still recovering from life-altering injuries. And as Grace Key reports, Callahan says she's facing homelessness because she's been unable to work. They took off my pinky finger, my ring finger, and half of my middle finger. Julie Callahan, once hailed a hero, is about to lose her home. In 2018, she tried to save Matthew Jarvis from an oncoming train when his wheelchair got stuck along the tracks in Chilliwack. Matthew was killed in the impact. The train hit Julie's hand. I guess sometimes I wonder if I did the right thing because it's cost me so much. It's cost me so much. It's cost my my life in gen basically i may still be standing here but my life is nothing close to what it was mm -hmm. nothing close julie is suing cn rail seeking compensation for pain and suffering past and future wage loss cost of future care and out-of-pocket expenses the transportation safety board did a report after the accident and they indicated that the engineer or whoever was driving the train did not apply the uh, breaks until seven seconds post impact, and so um, and and so that that is uh, a primary aspect of the negligence. CN is not commenting with the matter before the courts, but has denied any wrongdoing and suggests the plaintiff was negligent by failing to obey the instructions of a traffic control device and failing to yield to an approaching train. We're here today to recognize the heroism of Julie Callahan and to present her with the Carnegie Medal for extraordinary heroism. In 2019, the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission recognized Julie for her extraordinary act of bravery. Oh. It's been a difficult road to recovery. With Julie's physical and psychological injuries, she'll never be able to work. She helped others as a vocational counselor. Julie says her marriage broke down because of the accident, and soon she'll be off her ex-partner's insurance. I have accessed the food bank. I've accessed the free stores, but it's not comfortable. It's embarrassing. This is embarrassing, putting it out there, um, but I need, I need help. A tentative trial has been set for March 2025. The foreclosure of Julie's home is imminent. Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, shattering myths about gang life. The victim who I killed, his name was Sonny Baines. A former gang member lends his voice and experience to a new campaign to get at-risk youth back on the right track. And Victoria Police released a new image of a suspect wanted for burning down a local restaurant. Well, after three shootings in three days last week, Coquitlam RCMP are planning a community outreach event. This Saturday, officers will be available at the Glen Pine Pavilion from 10 to 2 o'clock to talk about safety in the area and answer questions from concerned residents. There was a shooting on Thursday, Friday and Saturday last week. There were no injuries or deaths in the first two incidents, but police say a 21-year-old man has since died after the Saturday shooting at Westwood Street and Glen Drive. 
And with escalating gang violence in Metro Vancouver, Surrey RCMP are unveiling the latest tool in their effort to battle the crisis. Their new video includes testimony from a victim of gang violence and from a man who went to prison for murder. Aimed at at-risk youth, Darian Matassa Fung shows us why it's so impactful. A wave of recent shootings and stabbings in the Lower Mainland has everyone on high alert. A key weapon for law enforcement in the war against gang violence, targeting potential members before they ever pull the trigger. And when you're in that cell block and you're in that interview room, you're by yourself. Surrey RCMP's Gang Enforcement Unit unveiling its latest anti-gang video, shattering the image, which will be shown to more than 10,000 students in the city. 15 minutes of raw truth about where gang life will get you. We believe we'll bridge that gap. We have somebody that was involved in that lifestyle, has lived experience, and hopefully we'll be able to hit those particular students that we, we, weren't, able to, uh, we weren't able to hit. In this game, your egos are so inflated. That person is former gang member Mindy Bander, who was convicted of second-degree murder in the killing of Sonny Baines in 2008. He served more than a decade in prison. Life is short. I have some regrets in my life. Definitely this was one of them. This lifestyle that we idolize about these gangsters driving around who people think are cool, they're only cool in a very small group setting. People might fear you, but no one's going to really respect you. The video also features Eileen Mohan, whose son Christopher was tragically murdered in the Surrey Six homicides, an innocent bystander. I put on this mask and I walk out the house to go to work every day. But every afternoon I come back home to a silent home. Surrey RCMP's gang unit says it's hard at work tracking down and arresting gang members. But more importantly, education and prevention is the most impactful. People are uh, preyed upon uh, depending on where they are in their life and uh, if there's a broken home situation and uh, they get sucked into this lifestyle. But what we see time and time again is uh, there is no solidarity within gang members. Gangs are actively recruiting kids as young as 12 years old, tempting them with a life of power, money and acceptance. The main point of this video is debunking that myth, the reality of this life, prison or death. Darian Matassafung, Global News. Vancouver firefighters were busy today battling a blaze in an SRO building on the downtown east side. Crews responded to reports of heavy fire and smoke from the third floor of a building on East Cordova near Columbia. They were able to contain it fairly quickly, but the building was significantly damaged from not only the fire, but also smoke and water. Vancouver Fire says two people were taken to hospital. We did have uh, one person, uh, as a result, uh, experience some smoke inhalation that's been uh, treated and transported by BCS. And we also had a firefighter who was injured uh, outside of the structure who's also been treated and is off to hospital as well for uh, a lower limb injury. Vancouver Fire isn't sure how many people have been displaced due to the fire, but it estimates the building had a total of roughly 40 units. The cause of the fire is unknown. And police in Victoria are asking the public for some help to identify an arson suspect. On June 16th of last year, a suspicious fire destroyed a Ricky's restaurant on Douglas Street. 
The blaze caused an estimated $1.5 to $2 million damage. Now police are sharing these images of a suspect who was seen throwing a lit object through the building's windows. He has a medium build and short hair and was wearing all black clothing. Anyone with information on the incident or the suspect is asked to call police or Crime Stoppers. Just ahead, Canada's secret superpower, more than just a travel document, why our passports make the global top 10 later. Plus, viral video of a very rough ride aboard a Washington State ferry, why customers were never in danger. We wanted to show you some remarkable video posted on social media taken during Tuesday's windstorm. A Washington State Ferries employee shot this video in rough seas yesterday as the ferry Issaquah was heading across Juan de Fuca Strait. The vehicles being swamped by the high water were all owned by employees. There were no passengers on board the vessel at the time. At one point, there appears to be a couple of chairs that had washed onto the car deck. Washington State Ferries says the damage was minimal and did not affect service. That same storm forced BC Ferries to cancel a number of sailings as well. Well, after a warmer and drier start to the winter for much of BC, the first data of the year shows snowpack levels across the province are nowhere near normal. The River Forecast Centre says the January 1st snow bulletin shows the province averaging only 56% of normal snowpack. Last year, the average was 82%, and that was considered low. The Okanagan Basin Water Board is warning of an increased fire risk in the summer and the potential for significant drought stretching into the spring. And of course, this week, or at least the next couple of days, we're focusing on the cold snap that's coming. Uh, Christy Gordon back with us, and Friday looks to be the coldest of the bunch. That's right. So tomorrow is a transition day, but you'll feel that Arctic air across the south coast tomorrow night into Friday morning. I wanted to show you these numbers again, just to give you an idea. So we're close to minus 50 potentially in the northeastern portion of the province, minus 20 near the coast across the south coast and away from the water, potentially minus 30. This is what it could look like on Friday morning, just to give you an example. It's really important that you're aware for the south coast in terms of the risk of frostbite, it is a low risk. It's more so in the interior region when you get to some of these numbers, especially when you drop down close to minus 50 with the wind chill. that's where you could have a risk of freezing, the skin freezing within two to five minutes. Really important also to remember that if you're traveling, bring a blanket, bring extra clothes. If anything were to happen, you need to make sure that you can keep yourself warm and safe. Now for tomorrow across our region, we have a chance of snowfall. We're going to continue with this onshore flow in in fact, we have high tide again tomorrow morning. We could see coastal flooding and high waves even along the western sections of Metro Vancouver. But quickly, that will shift tomorrow night into Friday morning, causing that Arctic air to make its way out towards the coast. And of course, that increase in wind makes that feels like even lower. Flurries expected through the mountain passes overnight into tomorrow morning. For the Metro Vancouver region, we have a chance of flurries tomorrow afternoon. And that chance of flurries will continue across the east coast of Vancouver 
Island late tomorrow into Friday morning. That outflow wind actually picks up moisture from the Strait of Georgia and then dumps it on the East Coast. So we definitely could see some bouts of uh, snowfall here and there. There's your forecast for tomorrow. Again, tomorrow really the transition day for the South Coast area before that Arctic air settles in on Friday and Saturday. We are going to slowly climb out of it, but not until next week. It may be Wednesday or Thursday that we'll be back to near seasonal values. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from Smithers. Rowanna shared this. This is Walker skating on one of the lakes in the area where it had fresh snow on it. Isn't that a beautiful scene? Thanks to Walker and Rowanna for sharing that with us. Wow, winter is definitely here now. Well, cool shot. Need to get the Zamboni out on that lake. Mm -hmm. Give him some clear <laughs> ice. Thank you, Christy. All right, Squire is here now. It's uh, not a great time, Squire, to be a Seattle sports fan. <laughs> that is true. Although the Kraken have played a little better of late than they did earlier in the year. If the Washington Huskies losing the national championship game on Monday wasn't enough of a jolt for Seattle football fans, today they found out Pete Carroll is no longer the Seahawks head coach. It's clear that, uh, and for a variety of reasons, um, we, we have mutually agreed uh, to set a new course. After 14 years, the Hawks have moved Pete from the sidelines to an advisory role, but they haven't hired a replacement yet. Also coming up, passport power. Why Canadians have a travel advantage over most other countries. Shake up down I-5 for football fans. That is, uh, that's an understatement. That was an earthquake <laughs> today. Uh, Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He was moved to an advisory role in the Seahawks front office after 14 years of running the sidelines. The news sent shockwaves all over the NFL. Nobody saw this coming. But in Seattle, not having Pete Carroll as the Seahawks coach is like waking up and finding out they took down the Space Needle. There is no replacement just yet, but this move makes you think that the Seahawks might have somebody in mind and they feel they have to make a move right now. Pete Carroll, of course, is 72 years old. Perhaps they felt the future is now. Obviously, he wasn't going to coach much longer, but the man with endless wells of positive energy wasn't going to let this sudden change get him down. Uh, it's been an honor and a thrill to be part of this program. And uh, I've loved every minute of it. And uh, you've watched me love it. And for most of his time in Seattle, Seahawk fans loved it too. After all, it was Pete Carroll who brought Seattle its only Super Bowl title. I'm so glad that we were able to stand together right here at this moment. Built on all of the things that we believe in and you guys never backed off. You kept believing, you kept fighting, you kept clawing and scratching. Oh. And look what you freaking did. Put that freaking trophy up again. Hey! With Seattle, Carroll made the playoffs in 10 of his 14 seasons. And if he had won one more game this season, they would have made the playoffs again. But ownership surprised everyone by telling Pete they wanted a change now. Following our season-ending meetings uh, with ownership, um, in the planning sessions, it's clear that, uh, and for a variety of reasons, um, we, we have mutually agreed uh, to set a new course. A new course means more than just a change at head coach. It's likely the staff and philosophy will change. And maybe a new coach will want a new quarterback and not Geno Smith, whose career was saved by Pete Carroll, a man whose love of his players was always evident. They got the freaking ball! They got the freaking ball! It doesn't matter what they do! No matter what they do! 
But in his farewell speech, Pete mentioned a bigger love in his life, his wife, Glenna, who he's been married to since 1976. I've been blessed with like the rarest of best friends and uh, mentor, um, loving partner, the angel in my life. <laughs> this is worth crying for. <laughs> Glenn, and nobody would ever understand how significant she's been through all of the stuff that we've been through and uh, how important she is. As a, as she's just been the angel in my life, and I owe you everything. And a lot of people feel if Pete Carroll is offered a head coaching job by another team, he and his family will move and take on that challenge as well. And I have to say, even though Pete Carroll is 72, there might be teams in the NFL right now who think, you know what, maybe a couple of years of Pete Carroll would be good for us. And I think he would go because he said at the start of this week, people asked him, do you still want to coach? And he said, yeah, I still want to coach. Uh, the Canucks are at the halfway point of the regular season. Game 41 was uh, the 5-2 win over the Islanders last night. The Canucks have won 27 games. The only other time a Canucks team won 27 at the midway point was the 2010-2011 Canucks. We all know how they did. They won the President's Trophy and came within a win of a Stanley Cup championship. Now, there are a lot of reasons things have gone so well. All the stars are having great years. They've all stayed healthy. The supporting cast has played starring roles at times. It's what Rick Tockett has preached all year. Stay together and believe in the system that's being taught to you. Uh, I, I think... Like even when they're you know, a little bend not break. I mean, even so, we had some issues or you know not as well certain parts of our game. We we hung in there. That's what I like with this team. They're a little bit resilient. You know, um, you know. I don't think we really put a 60 minute dud together um, lately. I mean, and uh, I think it's just a consistency of of staying with it for me. Well, we all know the star Blackhawk is down for a while. Connor Bedard did have surgery on his broken jaw. That means he won't be playing hockey. For at least six weeks, maybe as long as two months, so he's not going to be part of the All-Star Weekend at the start of February in Toronto. And unfortunately, he won't be playing at Rogers Arena when Chicago visits the Canucks on January 22nd. He was injured in this play against New Jersey last Friday. This was not a dirty hit. It was just unfortunate. Bedard's head was in the wrong position at the wrong time when he ran into Brendan Smith. It was a case of Bedard reaching for the puck, losing awareness of what was in front of him for a split second. He leads all rookies in all offensive categories. He's been so impressive. This guy could miss two months of the season and still be named the Rookie of the Year. And speaking of 72-year-old legendary football coaches, Nick Saban has retired as the head coach at the University of Alabama. Mm -hmm. There you go. Yeah, another seismic shift in football, too. Thanks, Squire. Where Canada ranks among the most powerful passports in the world. Coming up next. Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Sophie, the Maple Ridge man who groped a woman on a North Shore trail in 2022 has been arrested again. Jairus Paul Sacramento was given a conditional sentence in December, which included 90 days house arrest. Now, court records show the 23-year-old is accused of breaching his conditional sentence on three separate dates since the beginning of this month. At 11, we'll tell you when he's due back before a judge. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. 
A report analyzing the strength of global passports shows Canadian travel documents are among the most powerful in the world. According to the list, passport holders have access to 188 countries without needing a visa. Global's Kyle Benning has more. It might just be a way for you to leave the country, but Canadian passports are holding their value on the world stage. Henley & Partners released its list of the most powerful passports. And for another year, Canada is in the top 10. We've been compiling the data for about 19 years. Uh, we were the creators of this index that's used as a global reference, ranking all, all the countries that have visa-free or visa on arrival. Um, Canada has been ranked seventh. Henley & Partners use official data from the International Air Transport Association to build the list. It's based on how many destinations a traveler can visit without a visa. Six tied for first place, with four continental European countries as well as Japan and Singapore holding their top spots from last year. The United Kingdom landed in fourth with 191 locations, while Canada and the U.S. are in the seventh position with 188. I think that that, that speaks to a desire, hopefully, of our government to continue to make it easier and easier, easier for Canadian citizens to freely travel. But access can be lost. Canadians saw it firsthand last year after India banned visas to passport holders. Experts say Ottawa's relationships with governments are vital to how far a Canadian passport can take someone. It's pretty tough to walk that line. And my own view is we have to be prepared to stand up for our national interests even at the risk of some inconvenience to members of diaspora communities. At the start of 2023, Canada was ranked in the eighth position with visa-free access to 186 nations. Kyle Benning, Global News. It's a good-looking passport, too. I have a 10-year passport. So Do you? Yeah. Some time. Yeah, you got some <laughs> time too. before you got to renew. All right, Christy, a mm. final word on the cold forecast. So we'll start off tomorrow morning with about three degrees, but it will get progressively colder throughout the day tomorrow. And especially tomorrow night, you'll feel as we drop down to minus 12 into Friday morning. Uh, we do have a chance of an isolated flurry tomorrow afternoon, particularly from Victoria through Nanaimo and up at the east coast of Vancouver Island. It's going to feel like the Good prairies luck. that sunny and cold. Thanks very much, Christy. Hope you enjoy it. Beautiful rainbow shot by Pat Bell today. Thanks, Pat, for sending that in. Good night, everyone. Good night, all.